and zip lock that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke Who me, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Booth. The Booth. Over here on The tr- the Booth. What not, we're, we are in The Booth, but I think we we're going to settle booth. on The Booth. The Booth. We heard it. We got great feedback. The Booth. Over here. Uh, and thanks to our guys from The Trap Draw. I mean, they're so gracious. Big and TC. I know we got a lot to cover today, but coming off of our first episode of The Booth, I went back and checked some voicemails. There's so many messages in there. Asking for mea culpas from them about Big's pronunciation of different words, you know, NFL wrap-up, KVV and Poosh's outrageous takes. It was hard to find, but the resounding feedback for us was, boys, stick to the booth, and that's where we're at. Neil, of course, how are we doing this morning? It's good to be back, warming up a little bit in the big city. Above 40 degrees, which was nice. Took the dog up to the roof. Got a, got some zoomies in. That's great. Before we dive in, though, Cody, we have a new sponsor alert. Sponsoring the booth, ServPro. ServPro is the number one brand in cleanup and restoration and is known for making any mess like it never happened. And this is really timely. I mean, it's almost, uh, I mean... I don't know, coincidental, but I've, I've got some disaster recovery going on here at the apartment. Uh, a little pipe burst about a month ago. I don't, I'm a renter. I'm not an owner. So if it was up to me, I'd be working with ServPro. They bring over 50 years of experience in helping people and businesses recover from fire, storms, flooding. I guess you could include pipe bursts there. Mold and more, no matter the disaster, ServPro has the pros to handle it. Um, I, you know, the building's not moving quick, so we can talk a little bit about that. I, I think, you know, as I consider home ownership over the next decade, I think I might have ServPro uh, on speed dial for this stuff because water damage really stinks. So when it comes to commercial and residential damage, trust ServPro to make it like it never happened with over 2,000 locations nationwide. They're faster to any disaster. Uh, so if you're in need of cleaning or construction, reach out to the pros at ServPro. Learn more at ServPro.com or by calling 1-800-SERVPRO. ServPro, big, you know, golf, you know, integration going on this year. So we're going to be working with them throughout the year. I think we got some uh, some interesting video stuff lined up with them as well that I'm really excited about. I think filming that next month. So You'll be hearing their name a lot, and uh, I think I'm going to get some beta from how the building, the, the property management company handles this, this water break. I'm going to take some notes, and uh, I, I definitely think that ServPro would, would beat them with speed, if I had to guess. Yeah, for sure. And at 2,000 locations nationwide, that blows my mind how they keep, like, just how massive this company is and how do you control and make sure that everything's the same across the board. But who knows? maybe your maybe your building will use Surpro. You never know. No, they got this the project manager. There's a lot of dynamics this going is on. Some I've got, underground New York City stuff where it's like, oh my cousin, we got to use him down here. He's the only person who works on this building. Well, and I promise this this is no longer part of the ad. But the pipe. So it got really cold in New York around like Christmas Eve, and there was a pipe burst in the front of the building and in the in the back on our line. And it's not bad, but it's like you know water 
you know, co- goes down. So there's damage in multiple units. The, the, the front one was awful. I think all their like faucets froze. The problem is the building has all these independent heaters and air conditioners in each room and check it out. Like that is expensive. They're like electric and they run on gas. So it's like when you leave, you're like, Oh, am I going to, you know, I come from Florida. You're like, I didn't turn my heat off. And, uh, so pipe burst and it's just with the insurance and the whole building, there's just a lot of dynamics. The insurance thing took forever to get, I think it cleared. And then now they're trying to do all the unit, you know, replacing floors and drywall and each unit like simultaneously. So they said it's going to be like the next two weeks, but you know, they come in, they're laying down the like flooring, like the cardboard flooring. There's, it's a whole thing. Um, so we're going to, we're going to hold back on, um, judgment of, of the process. It's just, it was one of those things of like, Oh God, you see the email that Piper's like, that's going to be an issue for like the next month and a half. And sure enough, here we are a month and a half later. I hope you didn't just go on the record admitting that you you shut your heat off in the middle of winter. No, no, I'm saying like that's that's the issue with the I think everybody in the building is the point. Wow, are these buildings still passing like inspection or like some code that they have to? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. So it's just you know it's just a tough scene. But like I think everybody and I'll say there from being in your building like in in your apartment like very very nice. Well kept up. It just it blows my mind that there's still like structures that are out there that for some reason they're just like, oh yeah, fine. You know, we don't we don't have to like replace any of this plumbing. Like it just freezes every year. Well, but then the other thing here that I'm like seeing is so yes, it's true accident. I think both both pipe burst, both sides of the building. So I think it's the who knows what the insurance conversation is with them but it seems like now they're like okay cool we're gonna do like they're gonna rip up all the floors right like it's an excuse to like you ho, you got the money let's do the let's do the job right and i say right in quotations it's like well let's maybe just like we needed to do this renovation anyway let's uh you know let's fire it up in a big way which uh, you know if, if it was up to me i'd just say like can we get it done as quickly as possible very much sounds like so we're in a new house here in Texas, and you know, new houses move. They got to settle into the the foundation, or for us, the slab that we're sitting on. And naturally, you have hole pops and and nails sticking out. And every once in a while, because it's on a slab, you're gonna have a tile or two that that happen to crack. And we have one single tile by the tub in our master bathroom, primary bathroom, excuse me. And uh, it cracked. And instead of just replacing the, the single tile and maybe like the three or four connecting around it, that has turned into this project of we're going to replace the tile and flooring in the entire bathroom. And I'm like, how did something like this spin so far out of control? What's the worst disaster recovery you've had to deal with? Because you're an experienced homeowner all over the country. Yeah, we've had a lot, some major flooding issues happening. We we built a custom home in North Carolina out in, in Southern Pines in like horse country. And, you know, a true like we bought acreage, we hired a an architect, designer, we had the plans, everything drafted up, went through the permitting process, got the house built. Amazing, amazing home. Would still be living there if one day we didn't get hit with like, oh, by the way, we have three kids now and all of a sudden like the walls are creeping in on you and you're like, ah, we don't have enough space. Anyway. We had a, a pipe burst when we were out of town in our laundry room. 
And because of where we're at in North Carolina, our laundry room was actually the only reinforced room that we had in the house. So that room during construction was made completely out of cinder block. So that was going to be our safe room for hurricanes or anything else that was on there. There was a pipe that burst in there. So it kind of puddled in this very well-constructed room for hours when we were gone. And then when we came home and opened the door, it truly was like a tidal wave coming out at you that went oh down all the the hallway and, you know, this, this amazing open floor plan house that just spread out to every single room. So we're talking about like the flooring in that room, the flooring in the hallway, m- carpeting in multiple bedrooms, the flooring in the kitchen. It got underneath the island. We had to rip the island out, like come in and like make sure everything was dried out and put back in but on like a personal level of things that i own that by far was the worst it it sucked it made our life living living hell for a good like month and a half the i mean it seems like just burn it all to a crisp is is such a better not not like purposely but like would you rather have we're not talking about arson here okay I think fire damage, like just the, fa- I, I don't know how people like, oh yeah, there's just a little fire and like we, we had it cleaned up and, and everything's put back in. Like, I don't know how that is possible. I'd rather probably deal with water if you're on really? a slab. If you, yeah, for sure. See, I feel like you, the water damage is so much worse because it's just, cre- it's just everywhere. You have to rip out every nook and cranny. Whereas like the fire damage is like, you know, it chars some stuff. It's, it's very like, uh binary like it either burned or it didn't whereas the water just osmosis baby it just creeps everywhere yeah true maybe it's just i have like so much ptsd from being around way too many fire pits and shit overseas that like the thought of just like whatever particles that are still like hidden in that whatever air duct and being circulated that are still just like feeding me and my family i'm like i, I want no business yeah the that. smoke thing, i want nothing I didn't think about air. that I guess that that kind of, you know, creeps is what like similar to water. Outside, as long as you get a hold of water before like more, I just remembered another good story. You want to talk about like dumb, dumb, dumb things? That's what I'm saying though. Mold, like okay. the water damage never goes away. It's like you you can't. Uh, it's it's hard to eradicate completely, but it doesn't it doesn't harm the structure. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like. Right. Whereas the fire like allows you to like almost restart, you know, a room or a house from like, uh, I don't know, not scratch sometimes, but it, it just gives you like a better uh, restart in my in my head. And I could be wrong about that. In North Carolina, we had this like very rare fluke late February freeze. This is probably like, I don't know, five, seven years ago now. And in North Carolina, I also was the guy who I would overseed my grass. I love having green grass in the wintertime. And that's, I basically would water my grass all year long. But I knew like the right around Christmas time into like the first two weeks of January, you would always like, hey, I'm going to go shut the sprinklers out, blow them out, make sure all the hoses are on, taken off of the, the faucets because you know it's going to freeze a little bit. Well, I was already way past that. And we had this freak, freak cold front move in. And I totally forgot to take a hose off of one of the spigots outside. And I remember the twins were probably like a year and a half or something like that. So Nina, our youngest, was a brand new little baby. And where the hose was tied into the house was right next to her bedroom. 
and this freeze comes in and you know these houses are constructed now with like these incredible like kind of freeze resistant spigots where where if it's gonna crack because it it actually freezes and the metal expands, it's it's not actually gonna like flood anything well for some reason this that technology did not work here so what happens is that it froze overnight the next morning of course it's a beautiful day everything you know <laughs> it starts to thaw out we get the kids ready uh we take them to daycare i go to work still in the military at this point in time come home and we're like you know serving dinner and like everything seemed fine and go and put the kids to bed and and it was a jack and jill room so there's a shared bathroom in the middle and one of the walls in the bathroom is where this this the outside spigot that's where the water line ran through and uh i'm sitting there bathing the kids and one of the girls bumped into the wall and she's like, uh, it was one of the twins. And I remember her sitting there like poking it. And I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? Why are you poking that? And she's like, it's so squishy. And I'm like, what, what do you, what do you what mean? You talking squishy? About? And I have my hands full because I got like three little naked kids running around, trying to bathe, trying to get them dried off, trying to put diapers on them and trying to make sure that they're not cold. And one of them is just sitting there poking the wall. Well, sure as shit that section of the wall was like almost completely full of water because of the pipe burst from the outside spigot that and melted the drywall was now like literally mush and she would would be able to put her finger in it and they would leave an indentation and oh my goodness it became uh it became a mess so yeah maybe you're right maybe maybe uh water is not not the best what turns out is that they had to completely replace the wall um, not just the drywall, but they had to come out, reframe it, re everything, change the, change the, the carpet in the bedrooms. It was a, a complete disaster. I wish I would have called Surfro. This is not a disaster recovery podcast. We're, we're going to move on here in a second, but I, this reminds me also, we had a, some, a pipe burst at the kill house and <laughs> you know, the drywall next to the, like the garage door was like kind of it was you could tell like eh, there's a little mold coming in here but it's like behind a shelf so you're like i didn't see that yeah. you know i didn't uh, see that fine. that's cool and it's just like it's a little leak coming out <laughs> i bet in the copper pipes so then yeah then it, it burst finally and you know our landlord sends in this like kind of you know handyman this guy he's he's a he's been around a few times and he's not like he's got i guess it's like that's what i was maybe hoping for this time around but then there's like that guy just fixed like, oh, yeah, I fixed it. And then sure enough, like six months later, mega pipe burst because like for probably sure. the, all the piping needs to be replaced. Yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you, you, you start cutting that drywall out to look what's behind and you don't really want to know what's in there. No. So, uh, man, Ugh. it's it's just it clouds like everything because like one of our, we, you know, our our bedroom, we can't we're you know, like it's like off. You guys are still not it. living in the in the your guys bedroom. No. So it's just been like, everything's just kind of out of rhythm, right? Especially like when it's really cold here and you're inside a lot, it's just like, okay, cool. Like, you know, 40% of our apartment's not really usable. I mean, it's usable, but not in a pleasant way. Right. So we'll get through it. It's no big deal. Plus the new um, pup running around and yeah, everything else going progress. on. It's just a lot. But you know what? We're, we're doing just fine. We're doing just fine. All right. So agenda for today, Cody, I think Last time, with a little setup episode, I think we intended to do this last time, but we have five questions each, 
for each other. Yes. And some, some of them are context, even a little bit more background. Mine are related to the armed forces, your experience, not like your standard questions. I'm, I'm not looking for war stories here. I have some like more like tactical questions about the armed forces. Uh, and I don't know what you have for me. You don't know what I have for you. That's just a little teaser of where we're going. So do you want to go first? Or do you want me to ask my first question? No, you can go. I think this is one of those points where we can, we can, uh, this is the Jocko podcast, uh, with host Echo Charles, uh, go ahead and kneel. I'm up, I'm up at 4am. I'm up before my enemy. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. My first question. What does top secret security clearance mean? Oh, great, great questions. It sounds like civilians can have it. I, I just give me, give me a rundown. I, I, I want to know what it, I, you hear it a lot, you know, classified documents showing up at people's houses. Is it been in the news? I, I just want to know like, what, what is, what does that even freaking mean? First caveat here, there should be no classified information at anybody's personal residence or outside of a secure area. All right. So anytime that you hear or read something on the news of like, oh, this document was turned up in this guy's garage or this guy's old buildings or anything that should never, ever, 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 ever happen. All right. So, what a secure, so, secure area means like what there has to be a lock on, like you could say a secure area has a lock on the door. What do you mean by that? No, it has to be uh, it's an accredited holding location for that level of information. So it's not just a lock on the door. It, it, the majority of the time, it all depends on what level of classification you're going up there. But most of the time, it's double restricted access entry points to that specific holding area. Uh, there has to be some sort of identification process in order for you to get access to it. And then within, the reason why these, these rooms and buildings are, are built the way that they are is that it's, it's impenetrable from the outside in. So there's no window. That's why if you look at any of these big government buildings and you're like, wait, why didn't I like have any like real like big windows or anything like that? It's because windows provide access points for, you know, whether it's signal collection or, or people just like looky loose looking through the windows of trying to figure out what's going on. But no, you cannot. It's not just a, a lock on your door because I can kick that door down. And that, that doesn't mean anything. Like I can, if I can get a garage door opener and get in, like it doesn't mean that it's <laughs> secured. Okay. Uh, it doesn't quite work like that, but on the basic, basic, basic level, and I'm going to get this wrong because I, I forget stuff and I'm only going to touch like the highest, the high level of this, but there, there's certain, the highest classification that you can go is top secret, but there's certain caveats that you can get on top of that, that are, are based off what they will always say a need to know basis. And I'm not going to go in those because that truly would be discussing classified information. So there's certain caveats that, that you can get that are higher than TS. Double secret, top secret. For sure. Yeah. Right. Then below that is what you consider a secret clearance. Now, the secret clearance is basically like your, your basic security clearance. The majority of things that are classified that, that people run up against are what would be considered just like secret documents. It doesn't really take a much to, to be able to qualify for a secret security clearance. Uh, basically, as long as you're not like a complete shithead that like had like tons of, of DUIs or drug related events or anything else like that, like you're, you're going to be fine. And the majority of people qualify for that. Um, getting a TS above that is, is somewhat difficult. 
and it it takes routine inspections and, and reinvestigations in order to look back into that to make sure that you're still up to that standard. And what you see the majority of time, especially when it comes to politics, is that people are are read into these programs and given access or this level of clearance, but they don't necessarily like qualify for that. So most famously, like President Bill Clinton, he didn't he never qualified for a security clearance based off of drug history and who knows what else there. Now he has to have access to that in order to like run our country. So what, yeah, what they would do is that they would come in and there's an actual, a, a security officer who's their, their primary job is to control access and the safeguarding of this type of, of, of documents, whatever it is, um, would come in and read them in on that. So, hey, give him the base rules, the ground rules of this level of information that you're about to receive. He would be briefed on it. And then immediately afterwards, they would read him off and say, okay, everything that you have to, like been told, you can't tell anybody that, so you can't discuss it with anybody else. And now you're back to like no longer having a clearance. Wild, wild, wild situations. If that, um, basically every day he was president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so the other thing that can, that can happen a lot of times is that you can be granted an interim clearance, which means like, hey, we're not done like completely checking into this 100%, but in, in the meantime, this is what we're going to give you. And this is for a lot of people who don't have a lot of experience like within no military, no State Department, no anything else like that, never been around, classified, and, and, and might have a lengthy background that needs to be checked. Most of the time, they're granted an interim clearance. And Eventually, that will turn over into a full-time clearance unless something crazy comes up in which their clearance is taken away. Most famously for this would be Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner was granted an interim clearance because of the work that he had to do on behalf of President of the United States. And most famously was never granted a full clearance because of him, whatever was in his background, basically saying, you know, you can't do this. So when they tried to pull access away from him, he went back into the like, oh, well, now you're just being read on every single, every single day, which is a weird, weird, weird spot to be in, especially when you're on like that level of, of business that you're trying to conduct on behalf of the United States. Okay. On the military, in the military. Well, hold on. I have two questions on the civilian side but before, yeah. and I, I want to get back to the military stuff. One, for secret clearance, sounds like, you know, a lot of people have it. Could I, could I apply for it? as a civilian no. no so you have to be nominated have by some organization well it all goes back to like having the need to know that's okay. the number one catchphrase like do you have the need to know and and what is so what does that exactly mean so based off of the position that you hold the duties within that position and what your responsibilities are do you need access to this information that's what it comes down to and the majority of the time for like for you, Neil Schuster, pro trash holding, no, you, you don't need access to any of Yeah. That. But for like a civilian that does government contracting, their company would almost like there's an agreement in place between the government and that, you know, that company to say like, okay, well, these contractors, this software developer needs secret clearance, basically. Yes. And those if you are a say a civilian working on for a contract company who is awarded a government contract, each one of those times that they're given a clearance, it is 
those clearances are ran on behalf of whatever government organization that they are like working for. So if you think about it, so like I'm trying to think of, of a good example here. I guess if we continue with like the software side of it, they I would say that like it's probably going to be like uh, geospatial or so like NGA or NSA or one of those people who are doing or even it like the behalf. cloud computing guys that are setting for up sure. the archive for like the CIA or whatever. Yeah, it brings me to like one of my favorite projects ever that Google uh, freaked the fuck out about, which was <laughs> we could get into that because I was around <laughs> when that was going on. And uh, like who actually sponsored the majority of clearances at those employees at Google, which I would say probably on the Google side, they had an influx of new employees come in just because they could qualify for a security clearance. And then you had like all the OG programmers and stuff like that trying to work their way through to get a clearance that were probably just given interim access to work on this specific project. It becomes an, a, a big mess for sure. All right. So you get clearance while you're in the army, get the top secret clearance, not you, but whoever, when you retire, do you take that with you? Is there an expiration date? Does it, is it unique to each clearance? Yes. So when you are not only like when you retire, but when you like change jobs, like you're, you're read off of everything that you need access to. Um, and your clearance is actually transferred to whatever your, your gaining unit would be. But when you retire, like your clearance just basically goes in the void. And then what it is, is that like, you're still in good standing for five years. You don't need a reinvestigation done. And after that five years, like if you don't like, so like when, when I retired, like if I went and worked at, you know, whatever other agency, they would say like, oh yes, you're a DOD. Um, we're going to pick it up and, and turn it into our clearance on, you know, you're going to be under our umbrella. That's you're already whitelisted though, in a way. For sure. But like now, like I'm basically on a clock. So at some point in time, like if you guys fired me at year four and a half, I'd be fucked because then I'd be like, well, I don't have like a cl my clearance is running out. Nobody wants to pay for my reinvestigation because it costs like a ton of money. There's like yeah. investigations, especially for like the level of clearance that I had and like all my different read ons and, and caveats and stuff like that. It's expensive because it's not only. Like when you get to the highest level of like TS and, and all the other stuff, there's polygraphs that are involved. Not only like looking into your, like you as a person, but like can go into like polygraphs to looking at like your family, your extended family, like your, your online activity, everything else like that. And it's like a ton of man hours go in. And if you think about it, like oh, that seems fine for like one person, but there's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who hold active clearances that you need to keep up with it's it's a lot yeah which is probably a lot easier inside the you know industrial complex of the military like there's you know easier to, to probably do that at scale than it is with people outside of the government most like top secret stuff if you have top secret or secret clearance and now we're in the digital world do you have to have like spyware on your computer like the like massive mobile device McAfee. management yeah like what what is the you know what because a lot of this sounds to me like yeah you get you, you it's it's a lot of like legal protection of like you have top secret clearance if you do this we are going to fuck you up basically if you share this information but like how is there what how do they proactively like like are you just being surveilled at all times if you have top secret clearance yes 
Yeah. So whatever, like you, you sign away your access to, to basically everything that you're doing on like whatever government issued, you know, computers you're doing. So uh, like, it doesn't matter if I'm working on uh, like an unclassified computer at work, or if I have a government issued cell phone, or if it's one of my like secret level computers or top secret level computer, like everything that you do on the computer is, is actively tracked and monitored. There's nothing outside of it. And it, it, it's like, the, it's always the funny thing. Like when you go to a, a maybe like a, a less experienced military unit somewhere and like they might be in a skip, but there's like that one unclassified computer over there and Johnny's trying to check like his fantasy football scores and, and Cindy comes along and is like, sure, you know, searching for, you know, who knows what. And you're like, Oh yeah. Like you, you, what are you guys doing? Like, this isn't your personal computer. This is govern like government issue. And there's a specific reason why you should be using it which also sucks because like i'll go back to my time is in like being deployed and you don't have like access to a lot of things outside of like your government issued systems and like i remember when we first got wi-fi and like how big of a, of a thing this was but also it's like government provided wi-fi so the fear was always like you know i'm never going to connect like my personal iphone to this but then i'm like well, I, I also want to like call my wife and talk to my kids and stuff like that. So is that being monitored? Like what actually is being monitored? If you're telling me that this is for like MWR, so morale, welfare, and recreation is the big program that the, the DOD runs. So if this is MWR internet and the intent of it is to, for me to be able to check fantasy football scores and, and talk to my kids and whatever else, but you're also telling me that like this is actively monitored for a, a counterintelligence purposes because we don't want Russia, China, Turkey, you know, Iran tapping into it and figuring out who, you know, because those are also my vulnerabilities. So if, I, if I'm ever going to get like flipped over or something like that, the number one thing that they want to find out is like, you know, what's my wife's name? How many kids do I have? Where do they go to school at? What are their daily activities? So it's it's one of those things where it's like, protection for the government and the systems and the activities that you're doing, but also protection of yourself and like where those lines are at. Um, and it's a silly thing. It's a, a great, great, great question. Uh, and I'll, I'll kind of close it here is that in the military, there are certain jobs that you have, to, you have to qualify um, for security clearance in order to do that job. So there's people uh, very, over you know anxious and recruiters that are out there that are just like hey they get you know military recruiters get paid off of how many they'll get paid off of but like they they go off how many slots they fill and there'll be some bad recruiters that are out there that are like oh yeah i got you know johnny signed up to be uh an infantryman in the army but you know he scored pretty high on his ASVAB test and i think that he can you know do this intel position or eod or or something else like that 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 you have to have a security clearance for and we did his initial his rough background check and johnny told me that he doesn't have anything uh you know he never did drugs and and he doesn't have duis and you know he most certainly you know has never done anything bad to his girlfriends or anything else like that and they sign him up and they ship him off to to basic training and and whatever his advanced school is, and then he shows up at some schoolhouse either in Florida or Arizona where you have to have a security clearance in order to start that actual training. 
And they're like, hey, Johnny, why didn't you tell us you have like four DUIs and two minor possessions? And like you got caught last like last year with, you know, an, an eighth of blow in downtown Tempe. Well, like I John 19 year old Johnny doesn't know that you're going to find that stuff. Yeah, for and sure. he's just trying to set out and and have a good life. Nor that for some people that might have sound a little too specific with the locations that I discussed that that definitely wasn't me. Okay, but I, I know of these as examples. All right, good stuff. Uh, your turn. Let's get your first question out. Yes, sir. I am very, very interested. And we talk a lot about when we did these on the downrange, your relationship with your friends, the friendships that you formed at the locations and businesses that you've worked for since college. And I, I'm more curious on looking at where they're at versus looking at where you're at now. And, and trying to see what the pros and cons of where you think your current professional pathway and pipeline is versus if, if Neeler would have stayed in the cubes, stayed working at Google, and kind of seeing them continue to develop and continue to promote and get more duties, responsibilities, everything else like that. And the reason why I say this is because within a little, little peek inside here, within No Laying Up lately, we've had... A lot of requests. I think a lot of it came out with the Titleist partnerships of not only, hey, would you guys want to make any comments here about what this means, bigger uh, deals into smaller media companies? And then some requests for, hey, I am a professor at this university and I, I would love for you guys to come speak about digital marketing, digital media, whatever else like that. And I see these like really cool opportunities coming out now that I don't know, even though your group of friends who still very much work in tech, I don't know if they would have been afforded those uh, at this point in time in their life. So where do you think Neeler would be now? And what are the the outright benefits or, or things that you've picked up since being, you know, truly running a business uh, for the last couple of years that you don't think you would have? It's a good question. I would, I would say one thing, one correction, was never in the cubes. Okay. Was, was in the startup world, open floor plans always at Google in the micro kitchens, right? Modern, modern men guests. out here. There you go. Right. But that's, uh, you know, that's just a little nuance there. Um, my, my core group of friends from, I guess, from college, I would say, the guys I played football with, they're all doing really well. Um, you know, finance, a lot of, you know, there's a pipeline from, you know, Columbia down to Wall Street. I, I think I set myself up on this path almost by declaring to myself in college, like what I don't want to do. Like I didn't want to be in consulting or finance and there's nothing, I have no issue with either of those professions. It's just, I, they do a good, I think I've said this before. They do a really good job of like recruiting in college and make almost creating FOMO of like, if you don't get these, they come to campus and basically start this like crazy competition to get these internships you know, in the summer of your like junior year, sophomore year, whatever. Is, is that, is that why you kind of got turned off from specifically like the finance side of it or consulting or. Uh, I think I, I had I think this... a, a lot of it, what you, what you and your brother have described, I guess a, a lot of what the, the franchise did for a long, long time. And maybe seeing that path and being like, I don't really want to go down that path. No, I think that had a lot like subconsciously a lot to do with it, but. I mean, my dad was never like, oh, you're going to come work for the family biz. That was never even, <laughs> li literally never even discussed. But I, I've always found 
especially when I was younger and probably like, you know, naive, but, but, you know, arrogant in a way like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pave my own way. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it my way. You realize though, at the end of college, like that's very difficult. Like they, those, those big industries make it very easy to like, here's the, here's the plan. Just, just run this playbook. And then if you don't do that, and I found this out, I was like, oh shit, what am I going to do? So, you know, I think I went into sales for that reason, because I think sales is like a micro version of running your own business. I, I think it's a, it's a very difficult profession, but it's a, a good way to get into the business world. And, you know, the whole goal of it is like, can I get influential people in a room or on the phone? Right. Which is like, you know, it, sales gets a bad rap, but I think there's a lot of like good stuff that can be learned from it at a young age. I had a goal though. Like I remember my first internship, I worked at a uh, video game publisher and I came in like looking like Joe DiMaggio in like a baggy <laughs> pinstripe suit and sat down with these guys that like took the meeting because like my football coach like worked a connection for me. And I was like, yeah, man. They were like, well, so like, what's your, you know, what do you want to do? Like, what's your, you know, what's your five-year plan? Your five I was like, I want to work for myself as soon as possible. I think I said that to them. And I think they, they, I'm now very, very close with them. My friend Jerry works for, for Alex, who they, they started another company called VidMob, which has been very successful, like video editing and creative insights company here in New York. And they laugh about it. I play softball with these guys now. They, they're basically, like, yeah, you were like such a clown, you know, like, and they were like, yeah, cool, man. And they were, and they, when I left the meeting in my head, I was like, oh, that went so well. And they were like, yeah, we're never going to see that guy again. And then I just kind of like was very persistent, kept following up and, you know, got like a very, uh, almost unpaid slash begged for some money internship for the summer. And it was great. And it, and it led to like a really good relationship and, but it was almost like you kind of speak it into existence. Like I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I, I did. That was true. I did want to work for myself. Now, stupid thing to say, you know, at that age when you don't know anything. But I think you got to kind of set the, um, you almost kind of dictate. I think it's first you, you, what I did, I think, is here's what I don't want to do. It's a lot easier, I think, to figure out what you don't want to do than it is what you do want to do. And then it's like, okay, and then here is like my kind of North star thing. So then I went out to San Francisco tech, you know, was buzzing at that time, 2012 startups, all that stuff. And you start to get a look, you know, at the rats in the kitchen and how it's not all like disruption and rainbows. And so that was great. And then I went to Google with the, almost with the mindset, cause it was a little bit, I thought about like, Oh, what if I just like, you know, do NLU full time. And it was just too early for that. And I was like, I'll go use Google as grad school. And that was kind of the mindset there. And I actually, I went over to Google. My buddy Evan is doing great over there. He still works there, runs a, you know, the new business sales team or like a pod on that team. And they had an offsite this week. And I went over and kind of had this conversation of like, if, if my goal going to Google was to like make a career there, like I wouldn't have switched off the sales team onto the account management team. But I, I did that. And it was like, everybody's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I want to learn right? Like it's, that's what I'm here for. It's like, I want to learn how AdWords works and how the internet works. And I'm going to get a lot more out of this if I do kind of the, the grunt work a little bit, or like, you know, it's a harder job. You don't get paid as much. So I kind of took a, you could call it like I transferred into like a bit of a demotion and it was the best decision I made because then it gave me a chance to like, you know, build a hundred plus AdWords campaigns. And you know, what happens when you're doing that? You're basically just consulting with a business. How do you make money? What do you 
you know, you get to look under the hood of a bunch of different companies with like backed by like the credibility of Google's name. So people are all, like already more likely to share with you. So I think it was just the mindset and then knowing that NLU is over here on the side, like just slowly getting bigger and, you know, getting into a better position. And so it was like kind of working those two things concurrently, I think was, was good. Um, that, that is just basically a, not a, a it's like a, a, I don't say it's a, it's a lot of luck, but it's like, okay, how can you do this properly? Right. How can you do two things at once for as long as possible to, you know, improve your like chance of success, like basically hedge it a little bit. And I know that's a lot harder to do when you don't have this side thing that's going really well. So like my friends, they're all doing really well in their career. Like Ross is crushing it out, you know, banking out in San Francisco and Jerry works for VidMob doing great running like product marketing over there. Evan, like I said, he's built an awesome career, like been promoted two or three times at Google. So that is, that is a success. It's just hard to like, you got to like seize the opportunity if that makes sense. So I think, you know, credit to us for starting the thing, but then like the timing and the luck and just knowing and nurturing it over time and being patient, I think really helped me get to where I wanted to be. I don't know if those guys have ever declared like, oh, I want to be a, like, I don't want to speak for them. Like, oh, I want to run my own company, right? Like the, the kind of some of the secret of it is it's like the work isn't that different. It's still like kind of sucks. <laughs> it's just nice yeah. when it, it's more rewarding, I think, to, you know, to grind when it's like, you know, when it's yours. So I don't know, you got to kind of, I guess my point there, I, I'm rambling a little bit, but the point is like, you, you kind of have to like lay the gauntlet down for yourself of like, if this is where you want to get to, then you got to start thinking that way with the decisions you make, like in your current situation. And I think the first thing like there is like, you got to like start learning some skills that make you self-sufficient, right? Or like, you know, doing your, like for me, doing research about how businesses are run. How do you like, what's your profit margin cost of goods? Like I, I did a, a ton of AdWords campaigns for e-commerce companies. And back then, most of our revenue came from merch sales. So that was like, oh my God, okay, this is great. Like learning how all that stuff works was really, really valuable. Yeah, I think what you said there, what stuck out to me is you're constantly seeking out the tools in which you knew you were going to need. So even though that might've been a, a, a self-selecting demotion from the position that you had at Google, which probably did or potentially could have taken away in the short term monies, you knew that like, hey, I need to pick up these tools and to make myself better, to be a better businessman for my future. Well, yes. But I think if I was, you know, you're, you're, we're working this out live here. I think the relation there, the similarity between like the college thing with like not going into like the, you know, formatted pipeline and with Google is both in both situations, they have, a, they almost have a game they want you to play, which is like, you know, do this, you'll get promoted. This is, this is how it works here. You know? And I, I think in both cases was like, nah, I think I'm going to do it this way, which kind of threw, I think threw some people off. Like I actually remember at the end of my like last three months at Google, I had a meeting with my boss at the time who I loved. And he was like, yeah, man, like we got to get you like up for promotion. I was like, dude, I don't really want to get promoted. Like I'd rather just work on my, like, give me my eight to nine accounts a quarter. I'll do good work. Like I really took pride in it. Like I'll be fully engaged, but like, I don't want to do 
this extra stuff, like, cause to get promoted, you got to do like the, you know, Oh, can you rework the onboarding, you know, kit, right? Like the, the readiness checklist, like, can you put like a big presentation together and roll this out to the whole, you know, us team? I was like, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> like, I just want to do my job and I want to do this thing on the side that I really, really am passionate about and credit to Google. They were very cool with that. Like the, having this thing on the side because it kind of served what I was doing. But I remember him being like, he didn't really say this out loud, but the vibe was like, that's like not going to work. You know, like you got to kind of, you know, you got to conform here, man. Yeah. A little bit. Right. And, and we can't just have you like over there, you know, lone wolfing. And I was like, okay. So that was kind of a signal to me like, all right, are we going to do this or not? Right. It, it, It became very clear that this would be a good time as the new year, 2019, started like okay i should probably think about you know going all in here and so uh that and i I felt that way like columbia does a pretty good job of like getting you recruited but they work with these industries and these big companies and if you don't want to do that like you're kind of on your own like you got to hunt the job boards back then it was like the lion there's like you know job posting sites for internships and i probably interviewed 10, 12 times. And I got, I had such a bad habit of like, I felt like I was living in an alternate reality of like, I thought I had these great interviews at places, commercial real estate place that, you know, and I was like, oh my God, that went awesome. And just like, nah, man, it didn't go well, you know? So you, you, you got to break in somewhere and that's the hard part. And then you got to like use each stop as a, like, what can I learn here? It's not going to be permanent. Uh, at least that was my mindset. And, and I always looked at it as like, my dad told me this a long time ago, which I don't know if, if you can take or leave this, this advice, but it, I, I took it and I think it served me well. Is like, he's like, you don't quit a job before two years and, and definitely not before a year. Right. And so then if you don't like your job, it's like, what are you learning? What can you do? Like if you hate it to like get better so that then when that clock runs out, you can set yourself up for the next gig. So I thought that was good. It, it prevented me from, um, you know, jump bouncing around, but then you look at some of the stats and I have some friends that have done that have bounced, you know, nine months here, a year here, and they're making, you know, it helps with the, almost jumping the ladder a little bit and, and getting that comp up a lot faster kind of in the uh, corporate world. So I don't know if I feel like that advice is like, maybe it's expiring a little bit with today's world, but I don't know. There's a lot there. Take it or leave it. Yeah, for sure. I think the other thing is that as you talk about people bouncing around like that, that's fine when you're still like lower end in these companies where you're still mastering whatever your technical craft is, what you're coming in to actually do, whether that's sales or marketing, like when you're nugging out like this graphic because you're on this graphic design team, that's fine. But when you get to the point where you're like you're elevated to a position or you're hired into this position where there actually is some form of leadership, like when you are that person that bounces around that quick like that, you're not gaining any of those skills to actually be a mentor to lead a small team or anything else like that. And that's the only thing that I would say like could possibly like the biggest thing that sticks out to me when you look at somebody's resume and you're like, wait, why have you been jumping around so much? Okay, cool. So you felt like you got enough out of that position. So you moved on to a better opportunity, which is great. But like, Yo, there's other things that you you need. You gotta stick around for the shit for a little bit, 
yes. to make you a better person, even though you might not think that it is immediately. Where do you think you got this like fierce, 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 determined mindset to be as independent and free thinking as you as you are? Because you talk about it of saying like, I am I'm not going to put myself in that system because I already see what that pathway is. I am going to forge my own future. But where do you think that came from? I mean, some of it's, I remember like high school, like even choosing to go to Columbia, very kind of, I don't know. I just always have this desire to zig whenever other people are zagging. It's like, I don't like to, I, I get like um, stressed out about like the Willie Loman life, which is like, you know, quiet desperation. Like, no, I want to like do something different. I, I just feel like for better or worse, that's just always been a, like, something even college like being on the football team it'd be like i wanted to go like play pool at like the you know hipster bar and none of my buddies they just wanted to go like you know drink their faces off at the you know at the athlete bar and i was like we do this every weekend like i want to do something different this weekend like we're in the biggest city in the world like let's go like have a unique night kind of thing and yep. i think that's how i've looked at the career like i, I remember i was very worried about like oh my god i don't want to like ride the you know, I don't want to ride the train into New York City and live in the tri-state area. And like, it's it just, I, I got like, uh, it's more like a fear of that than it is like, oh my God, I want to go do this thing. I think, I think fear motivates me probably more than like desire for success. And like the fear of like, oh my God, waking up and be like, I don't like, I don't like what I'm doing here and I'm stuck is a, uh, is a factor in that for sure. And other people who, who started a great, great company that were Happy to have them board again this year, Roback. They, they had completely different jobs before they got together and said, hey, we need to start making these quality clothing. And they came together and quit their jobs, picked us up full-time. Happy to have Roback on for another year. Couldn't be more excited about it. The fit, the feel, the quality, it's all perfect. You know we love their gear. Now it feels like we can hit the range without seeing that little sub dog. The Rhodesian Ridgeback logo is everywhere or two-striped rig on the back. First, their performance polos fit so much better than your typical boxy polos with the collar that never loses its shape. Their four-way stretch material is so soft and comfortable, we basically live in these polos. Perfect for on the course, going out to dinner, or just about everything else. They're that comfortable. Trust us when we say these are the best polos that are out there. Second, Roback's performance Q-zips are the only Q-zips we throw. The definition of versatile, we do any activity in these. A crisp morning on the course hits different in a rowback Q-zip. They're always good for at least one birdie. We mean it when we say your 2023 will be better in a rowback Q-zip. Finally, rowback's performance hoodies. Got one on right now. The legitimately the most comfortable hoodies we've worn on the course. These are hands down the softest, stretchiest hoodies in golf. If you see us out on the course, odds are we will be in a rowback hoodie. They're that good. So use code TRAP, T-R-A-P, on Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of the week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off all polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and tees with code TRAP. Kick off your 2023 off right with Roback. So go check them out at Roback.com. Their founders' backgrounds are phenomenal, like would be amazing guests someday. Yes, uh, and had a good call with them this week. I want to tease a little, maybe a little custom Nest member discount coming. Uh, we're working on a big order for spring. 
saw some of the uh, spring stuff they got coming. A lot of a lot of patterns. Pull up some good stuff in the hopper over at Roback. So uh, stay tuned, Nest members. All right, Cody. I got. I'm, we're going to throw it back here. I got a history question for you. Who is your favorite American general, past and present? Two parter. Cool. Past and present, huh? Well, I'll definitely start with the the present one. Can I use somebody who's recently retired in the last couple of years? Of course. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, a gentleman who retired, four-star general, retired almost a year and a half, two years ago now. Goes by the name of Austin Scotty Miller. I've mentioned him a couple of times. Phenomenal, phenomenal human being. When I think of a leader in the military, I think of Scotty Miller. He retired from being the four-star general responsible for all forces in Afghanistan. Prior to that, he was the commander of Joint Special Operations Command. Prior to that, he served in multiple different positions as a general within the Pentagon. He grew up in every organization that I've ever worked on. He is a warfighter's warfighter on the operational level, going back to like him being a young lieutenant and captain. He led forces uh, during the Battle of Mogadishu in 93. He continued to work his way up in special operations community and held every possible position imaginable. He is a leader in every, every sense of the word. But at the end of the day, outside of like all the bureaucracy and everything that you, you think comes with somebody of that position, he's just another one of the guys. He cared about you. He cared about your men. He cared about getting the mission accomplished. But ultimately, he cared about getting you home to see your wife and or your husband and your children. And there is no better compliment that anybody can tell somebody of that position than that is that he truly cared about you mission aside it was always about are the men taken care of and it it was a phenomenal feeling and in turn made it so anything that he asked of us it was hell yeah let's go sir yeah uh, the only got to make you shave right yeah he was uh the, <laughs> the only the only guy uh when, when i got to the point where I was wearing a beard all the time, uh, he had a, a very subtle request. This was in the end of 2014. We had just, uh, so what was it? Spring of, 20, 20, spring of 2014, we closed down. Theoretically, we were supposed to close down Afghanistan. That's when that war actually ended. It didn't really end for another five years, as we all know, though. But I redeployed, came back home, was only home for about a month and a half before we uh, blew back out for another uh, disaster situation, which was ISIS completely taking control of Iraq. And I went to northern Iraq and we fought ISIS back and regained uh, the independent zone of Kurdistan in northern Iraq. And then I quickly transitioned down to Baghdad and worked out of the embassy for another three or four months before I came home. Um, but this was probably November or December 2014. Uh, I was getting ready, uh, had routine meetings with um, the ambassador and his staff and, and other intelligence and, and State Department officials that were there and meeting with them daily, going over plans, what we were planning on doing next, other intelligence collection things that we had going on. 
And uh, I got a subtle note that said, hey, General, General Miller's coming in and he was, he's flying out from the States. He's going to meet with the ambassador. You guys are going to be, you know, the four of us, we're going to be present for the meeting and, uh, you know, prepare. So w- what does prepare mean? That means make sure that his, you know, that we have a VIP suite ready for him when he arrives for him and his staff, because it's not just him. It is make sure that you have a clean uniform, because even though we were wearing civilian clothes or suits when we wanted to dress up at the time, we knew that he was coming into town and military guys had to put on military uniforms. And ultimately what it came down to was he showed up and we're all wearing uniforms and obviously I had beards and everything because we're not used to wearing uniforms. We're all wearing civilian clothes. He just said, oh, we're meeting with Ambo tomorrow. So you boys probably need to go shave. Uh, <laughs> so we went down to the, the embassy barber. They gave us the most extreme high and tight and attempted to trim, <laughs> trim our beards. It, it looked absolutely horrible. Uh, we shaved that night and that was the last time that I've ever shaved my face for a, a meeting that lasted all of eight minutes before we were politely excused from the meeting and General Miller and the ambassador continued on without us. So <laughs> eight minutes of, uh, you know, probably four years of good beard growth gone down the sink and a, a dumb, dumb haircut that took a long time to grow back out. But at the time I didn't realize it either that it, that was kind of the stylish thing. So it was kind of like the hard part. Um, and I looked, I looked ridiculous. God, I'd love to get a picture of that. Uh, it might be a goal of mine to get you to start experimenting with your facial hair. You know, now that we're, you know, come on, we, we're, we're in a different, we've transitioned. Like, I'd love to see some, some good stash work from you, Cody. I've poked around a little bit. I think, uh, you know, I don't care what my face looks like at all. I think that there's one person who I care an awful lot of what my face looks like. And uh, I'm lucky enough to say that she sleeps in the bed with me every night. And she's she's just not a fan of the the silliness. So I'll say this. From examples of walk, watching your iterations of facial hair, her reaction most of the time is, oh, Neil, what is he doing now? Or, oh. Why? That doesn't I might have look to back good. channel with I might have to back channel with her <laughs> just to see what we can do. But uh, I, all right, I am question down about for it. um but past. I owe well, you. Hold more. on. I want to ask you a question about General Miller. What if you had to pick one thing, could be two, what is the like leadership style? Like what what did you learn from him? Yeah, I understand like the fact that he you know puts the men first, but like is there a way that he goes about that? Like, you know, because I've said this to you a lot, like you're coming out of one of the most high-performing, you know, organizations in the world. And I'm always like trying to pick up like what, what are, you know, what can we, what, what can we take from that? Like what was a, something that he did that you found unique in his leadership style? Yeah, I was very, very lucky to be selected to be one of his advisors when he transitioned from, from Joint Special Operations Command to going to Afghanistan. So actually I was part of I think there was 20 of us in total that went over with him for about three months to Afghanistan and took over a very, very conventional um, joint environment. Now, it was very weird because we're spoiled. We're coming from special operations and we're putting into a very regimented routine, big military hierarchy structure. And he brought us over for a reason is because he wanted his advisors to go and embed with each specialty um, and work hand in hand with the person that that is currently holding that position, but ultimately to be able to better 
uh, serve and inform him so he could start rapidly making decisions. Most generals or, or people of position, it takes a while. And we've, we've heard this from Mike Wan when he transitioned to the USGA. He said, hey, I got to, you know, you got to give me six months to a year, figure out what's going on before I start making any of, those, of these decisions. Well, General Miller didn't want that. He knew the war cannot wait for somebody to be able to make a decision. So he brought the, the right personnel that he felt like at the time embedded them and and put it on them to to learn as much as they possibly can to inform him to make those decisions. I'll say this, he did not phenomenal leader. And what I mean by that is that at the end of the day the leader is responsible for making the decision. And it's very easy for people whether it's in business in the military or whatever mom and pop shop that people are listening out there he was quick to make a decision and it was never the wrong decision. It was the right decision at the time. And sometimes, you know, obviously you live and learn and things come out afterwards, but by being quick to make a decision, everything was a, a discussion by counsel. We all knew that it was his vote at the end of the day, but it was such intense and freeing pressure to be able to openly speak from your point of view based off of your specialty and what you are currently seeing. And you know that he is listening to every word that you are saying. And he would take that from every single level and be able to lay out, okay, this is what I'm hearing from Cody. This is what I'm hearing from John. This is what I'm hearing from, you know, my Air Force guys. And this is where I think that we're at. What does everybody think of this? Because based off my analysis of everything that you guys are saying, these are the steps that I think we can make. And then we would discuss those. And it became a systematic effort based off of a committee. And ultimately, I, I never once saw him completely deviate based off of anything political or guidance from, you know, somewhere in D.C. that's coming from thousands of miles away that has nothing to do with information that's currently at hand. And his speed at which he did it was phenomenal. And I'll learn that from him is that people make wrong decisions all the time. And that's okay because at the time you thought that it was the right decision. But it's how you are able to pivot and redirect whatever you have going on that makes it better, that, that leads to a successful outcome. And if you put your own hamstrings your own box walls around your decision-making process and refuse to think outside of that, you're never going to be able to the get to the point where you're able to pivot and move. And I, I see this play out all over the place, but, but now in business, I see it every single day, is that people set out with amazing plans, whether it's a content series or starting a new business or somebody getting into something new. And... At the time, it's a great, great decision, but they're not able to look across the board, take the information, data that they are given, be able to quickly analyze that and make a speedy decision in order to pivot for their own survival. I think uh, there's a couple things there that I love is like there's no like you don't rush the, the process. You put in like a very efficient process and you stick to it. Like, like, so you don't 
oh my God, I panic. And then I'm not going to go through this decision-making process. I'm just going to, you know, kind of go with my gut. Right. So, and then there's another thing I, I was reading somebody, uh, I saw a tweet recently that I really liked was it was for, it was an investment guy. And he was like, I try to write down when I make a big trade, you know, why I did that in the moment. Right. And take like, just write, write down why I made that decision because a lot of times I'm wrong. And then if I go back and like, but it's hard to remember why you made the decision. And then there's all this emotion involved when like things go poorly that you, it clouds like what actually led to that decision being made. And so, and I've been thinking a lot about that and uh, trying to do more of that with like big decisions we make about our business of like, at the time, this is what we were thinking and it'll help to have that record. That's why maybe I'm such a stickler on like notes and stuff. It's like, it's, you know, a lot easier to go back and be like, okay, this was the conversation we had. This is why we did that. And that is no longer true, which is totally, like you said, that's totally fine. It's, you know, that's going to happen. It's just when you, you know, you can almost rewrite history if you don't write it down at the time. hundred percent. I mean, if you look at like successful businesses or organizations that are out there, like not a lot of them have been doing, you know, are still doing the exact same thing that they started with. Not everyone is Heinz 57 ketchup, you know, they, they, you rock the recipe once and that's it. And you just keep pumping it out. There's not a lot of examples of that that are out there, but having the right advisors that are around you, trusting their word explicitly. And if you, if you don't anymore, then, you know, they're, they're no longer at that circle. And I've saw, I personally saw more people be relieved or, or moved or, or sent because, Hey, you know, you did a bad job. You gave me a, a bad assessment and there's you know ramifications for that i'm sorry but it's like there's nothing personal at the end of the day like this is just how work work is done um all right past general god this is so hard because honestly i i wish i was i wish i was a little bit better on on my history of things i would say I mean, this is probably just like the easiest one that I possible, possibly could say. But, um, you know, I, I think what General Patton was able to do to like, if, if you think back in the day of a massive conflict that he was not only thrown in the middle of, but ultimately like put up on the pedestal of saying, hey, you need to lead these men into combat. You need to come up with these hundred percent combat plans and you need, you're, you're expected to have a successful outcome. Um, all, all, by the way, you're in charge of recruiting and making sure that we have the next, you know, next iteration of soldiers coming up like this all while doing that, while people have this, uh, like this image of like you being the American military and the pressures in which, I'm sure he felt at the time or, or, or just phenomenal to me. And not only to do that, like in such different terrains, fighting such different battles across multiple different campaigns. It's, it's incredible. So you're, you're, you're a, a piss and vinegar guy, huh? Like for sure. I mean, I, sure. I would say Patton versus uh, MacArthur probably go Patton too. MacArthur's a little look at me. Um, I also think Patton deserves more credit than he gets for like 
it's really hard to flip the mo right (laughs) (laughs) come come rolling into you know africa it's like yo things are not going well and you got to turn it around that's it you know i don't think he gets enough credit for that i thought you were going to hit me with the swamp fox i originally so i was going to go with uh my boy francis but i went pretty heavy on general miller i think we can leave the soft boys out of it the uh but the swamp fox is what the the father of the rangers right 100 percent so yeah, going back, he's uh, when you think of like ambush techniques and and doctrine, what we know it now that all originated from him. Because the reason why he's called the Swamp Fox is because he literally had his his militia just chilling in in the swamps, and it didn't matter where it was at. He would have his guys like literally waiting underwater with like breathing air through straws just to be able to pop up with no notice and and breaking all tactics or doctrine or or anything that they thought at the time you know there's no more lining up and having a gentleman's battle to do it he's out there crawling around in the woods and the sticks and and surprising people and that was unheard of at the time swamp fox good wikipedia page highly recommend to the listeners all right cody what's what's next what do you got for me yeah i would say uh as you have added a uh puppy to this now we know where you're at kind of professionally um i would say neil i know you hate asking the question because i ask you it all the time of like hey let's look at some goals here or whatnot but are you putting the things in place not just in your marriage this isn't a marriage question this isn't a kid's question or anything else like that but what advice could you give me uh because we talk about investments and everything else like that but what are we doing future wise We've had meetings on the backside talking about annuities, talking about investments. For a while, you're big into the the crypto game. Maybe not so much crypto, but some mining options. What should I be looking at here? I'm, you know, in my mid to late 30s. I have, okay, you know, I I have a good portfolio. And I'm I'm very lucky that I took advantage of government systems and 401ks that were put in front of me. But like, what else should I be doing? You got a brain for this. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I do. I was late to this game. This is, I'm going to say big time, not financial advice. I'm, you know, I'm not the the savviest. I would say, like a lot of, I, I, a couple of things I regret. I didn't start my 401k. I started like three years, four years after, no, three years after uh, college, which I, I, even that like late start, you, you kind of kick yourself a little bit. And then I made the mistake of with that 401k, I'm the guy that started paying into a 401k, but didn't place the money into like, there's a second step. Oh, you there. didn't go the right fund. No, no. I didn't put it in any fund. I thought like, oh, I set up the Vanguard account, but I didn't choose like which fund, right? For like two, two more years. So like, that's who you're getting advice from right now. Right. Which I, I, I actually Dang. think is a, you know, like that should be clear to people, I think when you when you click the buttons but i got it all squared away and and you know everything's rolling in the right direction and then like a lot of other people in 2020 2021 hey i you know i should start thinking about like what i'm doing investing more i had yeah too much money in sitting in a checking account right which is like to me like safe oh it's just you know that's good so i think what i've realized over the last two years though is i am very I'm very confident and very comfortable just using the robo stuff. Just like anytime I can, I put, I have a monthly 
deposit in there. I, I've tried to automate as much as possible. And I've realized like my stock picks are not very good. And my, you know, picking, picking ETFs and picking stocks and stuff. It's like that should, the stock thing should just be for fun. Right. And I, I do enjoy placing a, like, oh, you know what? I really like and appreciate this company and I use it. And that's kind of where I place a lot of my, if I'm going to like make a specific trade. Right. So that's more of just for like personal. And my, actually, my friend Ross told me that because he's in finance and does a lot of uh, like emerging market, you know, analysis and research and stuff. And, and that was his advice to me a few years ago of like, put some skin in the game because at the very least, you're going to learn and, It'll be, you know, it's kind of fun. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, betting on some horses that you think have some potential, but that, that to me is not the, you know, that has nothing to do with like setting yourself up for the future. Like if anything, that's going to lose you money. So I've really, uh, I think the robo stuff is just the, the way for me and set it pretty conservatively on like the, Hey man, just kind of give me something diverse and. I'm just going to touch everything and just don't, don't even look at it. Just don't look at it. It, is, it just make sure that the money is going in every month. And anytime you have a bonus or something that you put like whatever percentage, you know, almost I try to make it regimented at this point. Like, okay, doesn't matter how big or small the check is. This percentage is going to this account. I do think, and I, what I really like that I I've done is you mentioned, you know, I have a friend that, started a like a, a bitcoin mining company and five years ago i i you know invested in it and i remember thinking my dad would kill me if he knew that but that was more of like my buddies and i kind of pooled some money together and it was uh, the question i asked myself at the time is like if you know if evan ross get you know <laughs> get a pop from this and i sit out i'm gonna i'm gonna hate myself so it's worth it's worth it's worth this losing this amount of money that's both fun personally, like supporting a friend and also like another thing of just like, that's gone. If it comes back, that's great. But like, I don't, um, I don't have time to like actively source deals or anything like that. It's more like if you, if you can and you can help a friend get something started, I, I'm a big believer in like, that's, uh, you know, that's something I enjoy and it's been a fun ride. Like, and it, and again, it, I've learned a lot about, you know, infrastructure and the electrical grid and, you know, crypto mining and all this stuff, like whether you think it's BS or not, it's like, it's, there's a lot of people putting a lot of money into that stuff. So it's, it's nice to have a working knowledge of it. So I almost, it kind of goes back to the first question you asked me of like, I I look at it as another way to like gain some skills, some knowledge, like maybe, and, and some of these people like, you know, like this, you know, specific friend of mine is like, he's a stud and he's really smart. And so if this one doesn't go, I think he'll have something else. And so there's a lot of like personal dynamics in that too, of like, okay, yo, you were here early. So you probably get a look on the next one. Right. And so some of that is like, uh, I think doing that at a younger age helps you later on when like, hopefully you have more money and you don't, you know, you want to do something with it. Like you get more access to something like that. Uh, the question follow up to that would be, is there anything that you were served up that you didn't take advantage of at the time that would have been, uh, you know, kind of worked out to be a big thing. And I'll use my example for it. This is probably about 12 years ago. One of my buddies came to me and said, Hey, my dad's writing this patent, uh, because he's, he's sick of his, his leaf blower 
only having one arm. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, you know, the leaf blower, the backpack leaf blower, it only has, there's only one arm. When, how cool would it be and how much, how much more could you get out of it if it was dual tubed so you could be out there, you know, working both arms? He's going to, he's very smart engineer. Uh, he's going to, you know, put in the patents to have a, a dual arm system. And I was like, wow, this is, uh, this, this sounds like a lot. And he's like, yeah, he's like, if you want to, like, want to get in with it right now. I remember being like, you know, you should, if you got 10K, you and Yari can come up with it. Uh, we'd love to get you involved. Like, oh, at the time, I was like, that that's so, so, so much money. I was like, there is yeah. no way. Like, where am I going like, to, like, have to sell everything? Like, this, there's no way that we can do this. Yeah, that, that patent was bought out for somebody for, like, five point something million dollars. And, you know, thinking about it, you're like, good for them. But there was multiple, it, it, a month does not go by where I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, you could have done something. I love that. I, I can't really think of one. And I think the reason is, like, I've, I have a lot of experience living in overpriced cities. And so I've never really had any money to, to even consider investing. Like, I think that, that was a big reason back in the day. It's like, ah, oh, man, I'm just trying to, like, pay the rent. And, you know, then you leave Google and you're like, oh, okay, well. I'm taking like a mega pay cut to do this. So like, but the, the freeing part about that is you just don't, you know, when you don't have a lot, you're just not thinking about money when you don't have a lot and you don't have any dependents, you're not thinking about money much, uh, which is good. I, sometimes I think when you're at a company or a big company, you, again, you get back, you get back into the game of like, they're like incentivizing you with money, with stock. And so then you start to focus on it more and more. And so I, I talked to Solly about this a little bit when I first left Google, because I, again, like, you know, taking a risk, you taking a pay cut, all that for the first year, two years, like he said, it, he's like, I, when he left KPMG, I don't think about, I just don't, yeah, I don't make that much, but I don't think about it. Right. Like everything, you know, I, I have what I need and I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying how I'm spending my time, which I think is a true sign of like, that's getting wealthier to me is like, oh, I have control over my time and I'm covering my needs and I'm not basically chasing this like more, 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 more thing. You're like kind of setting your own pace and you're out of, you got your blinders on because you're not comparing yourself to like, what's this sales reps quota going to be? Oh, he's maxing out this quarter. Like, what the hell, man? Like, and then, so I, I think it simplifies it a little bit. So I can't think of any investments that I missed out on, right? I, I don't, but uh, maybe that'll be different as my cohort of friends starts to, you know, as we age like that, that'll become more opportunities will come, I hope. So, uh, but I just think that the, 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 I, it's less about where I've gotten better at. Um, it's not how much I'm making. I'm getting better at like personal budgeting and, you know, trying to figure that out with Carson on like, you ask, I asked before we got married, like five different people. Hey, how do you guys do your finances? Like my aunts, uncles, my parents, her parents, you get five different answers on like, oh, well, we all run everything through the same account. Well, we do it this way. Well, we have, you know, and, and so I, which was good because I realized like, oh, there's no right way to do this. But the, the key is like, let's get a full picture of like what, you know, what we're doing here, what we're spending. And, you know, I don't really want to know what she's shopping for. She should have her own budget for that. Right. Like I, I, I don't want her to analyze my 
payments. It's just more like, are we both putting into this pool the same amount every month? And I'm sure we can adjust it as we go, but just and the same sure amount, a- the same amount sometimes is not uh, the same as in like equaling to dollars, but equaling to like based off differences in salaries and things like that. Definitely. You know? And I think it changes too. Like we haven't had to make a big, like we haven't bought a house or anything. We haven't really had a huge, large purchase, right? Other than, I mean, I guess you could say our wedding expenses, but like we did a good job of, you know, kind of trying to divvy that properly. It's like when it comes to a house or something, that's where it's like, oh, well, I have, you know, some stock I could cash in or, you know, like, you know, I think you just got to talk about it is, is what it comes down to. But you, you almost go into that conversation thinking that there's like a blueprint for it and there's not. And it's just, it's the same thing with like starting your own business. Everyone's like, well, what? I remember when Randy and I were first trying to put together like our P&L statement. It's like, well, is there like a template out there? It's like, no, if you go ask like every CFO probably has a different looking P&L, right? There's no, there's, you just got to figure it out. It's, it's really, that to me has been the most freeing thing about like entrepreneurship. It's like, oh, I'm not doing it wrong because nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> that's cool i like that that gets me jacked up yeah you brought up a good point about uh you know your finances and and things like that and it's it's so spot on that there is no right way that i guess you could say i'm sure there's a lot of wrong ways you see it uh, the number one breakdown in marriage is most of the time Money, poor baby. communication i don't want to i'm not going to say it's it's uh communication is the the like the actual issue, but it's hundred percent money. I think know? it's communication about money. I yep. would, I would buy into that. I don't know that, but I could see that being a massive stress on a relationship. Uh, now I will put it back on you. One thing that like I have other than the birdhouse, right. That, that we have an ownership in as, as a, like a, as a company. And I didn't really do the buying process on that is homeownership. And you are like an expert on this. I mean, Hell what yeah. you bought like 15 houses and yeah. I mean the speed at which you and you are able to just like buy, build, sell property. Like I, and I look at the birdhouse has been very successful for as a, as a business experiment for NLU. And then it, it kind of in my head, I'm like, oh man, owning real estate can be a very good way to, you know, invest. Right. I just, I don't know it makes my head spin a lot of like how to structure that. There's a million ways you can structure it. And it's just kind of one that's still a bit of a black box. Cause I learned by doing, and I haven't done a lot of that. Yeah. And it gets very, very confusing. And it, it goes back to, first of all, if that's something that you're like, people are interested in communicating across the board and making sure that like each one of your goals are actually clearly defined because it's, it kind of, I couldn't imagine making like decisions like that and not having your partner like on board with you. What we did a long time ago is that I, I I grew up in Montana and like, you know, renting was never really a thing in college. I rented, you know, obviously places where I stayed and I, I realized it was the biggest waste of time possible, but that's also because you had opportunities for ownership around you. So when I got in the military and realized that like, Hey, I can, you know, we're young were like at the time before we even married, I was like, what is the point of me, you know, renting a $800 a month apartment versus like me and my two buddies going and finding like a small two, three bedroom house that's going to cost us, you know, 80, 90 grand. 
and like splitting it up three ways. You know, I, I just always looked at it like your money is actually you're getting something. You're 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 getting either equity or or a firm uh, ground there, and fully knowing that you're never going to stay at that location forever. So it started as one house because I was young and dumb with a couple of buddies and they eventually like they left. So they're like, Hey, will you buy me out of this? I'm like, sure. Well, what do you want? They're like, just give me my original, like what my original down payment was. I was like, okay, cool. So basically got like free, like 50 grand out of it. And then what we've done slowly over time is that we've just rolled that over into multiple different properties from older homes to new builds to, you know, manufactured homes to custom build homes all over really the United States. And, and then we started looking at land options and started buying land. And then, you know, you're, you're amazed when people show up and developers are like, Hey, we're actually looking at this intersection over here to put something down. And you're like, well, cool. I'll sell you, you know, four of the 10 acres that I own and you can go from there. So what all that to say is that what we basically did up until this point all that stuff in Georgia and North Carolina, rolling it over, rolling it over, reinvesting it, and uh, usually putting the money to the side and using it for like the next build. When we came out here, we were able to, you know, we bought property. It didn't work out for us because of some water table issues, but we we're able to make a quick decision, analyze the situation, and react and get a house built, put up, and sit here now with like, you know, a house is worth a, a lot of money and our, I think we ended up mortgaging like $55,000 because well, no, we had it blew to. me away. Cause like last May you're like, yeah, we just bought this big piece of land in Texas. And then I asked you about it like literally 45 days later. I was like, Hey, how's it going? You're like, Oh yeah, we sold it. I'm like, hey, and we bought this. I'm like, what? Huh? And that's yeah. just like knowledge on the process. I think now I do want to say this though. We had, I had a boss, uh, another boss or like boss's boss at Google smart guy and he was like he would he was riding for buying property or or buying a home is not the move because and at the time like you know interest rates are they were they were at probably two percent it was before this is like 2018 but his point was like the market's doing so well and he was like i would rather have the flexibility of rent and like the ability to get out. I don't have to fix anything. I don't have the attacks. And then I can put that money into like investments that I think are going to do better over the next, like, he's like in that current time frame, which I think is, you know, I've read some other people similar of like the home home ownership is a myth of like, you know, of building wealth, which I think you have to separate from home ownership and property ownership, right? There's a difference there of, of like, when people tie like, oh yeah, buying the house is the American dream and the mortgage and all that. Like you could, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of that argument. Like I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm nodding on both sides of it. Yeah. It's very much like location dependent, obviously. Um, different markets are more suited for something else. But at the end of the day, even with his thinking, he is paying, he's giving money to somebody every month. Yes. But with the, like one thing that's nice for me as you know, the opportunity like in a big city, high cost of living like New York is the opportunity to earn, right? So you're going to earn, you know, like if you're working in the city, you're going to earn more. And then the flexibility to know that like, okay, I can, you can kind of manage. It's all, sometimes it's almost easier to manage the budget a little bit better when you're like, cool, that just, yep, I'm, that money's going out the door and it's a lot more than I'd like it to be. But 
I can get out of that, you know, it, that's a, uh, I guess a short term thing if it, if it needs to be in a way. I'll let you in on a little secret here, but we're actually looking at our next uh, potential investment opportunity. And we're, we've been given an, an kind of an early look and an early option at a, a condo facility in Florida. And it, are you going to be a, are you going to be a landlord? Are you going to be a slumlord? Well, I don't, I don't think that's exactly <laughs> how we're going to go about it, but it's a, basically a, an eight unit, uh, building that doesn't take a lot. It wouldn't take a lot of initial investment to get it to where it's like not just livable, but like nice. And if you look at the, the returns on some of these, you know, multi-unit facilities, it's phenomenal. Obviously it's a, a very big initial investment, but like, you know, ROI wise, we would be like, we would break even within like five years based off numbers that we're looking at right now, which is crazy. And honestly, thinking about it and knowing that like, you know, cause we're, we're smart. Like we got the five twenty nines for the kids and everything else like that. But I'm always looking, you know, I want to make sure that they're set up better than I ever was. And it, it goes beyond college. It goes, you know, I got three girls, I got to pay for three weddings and all this stuff like that. Looking at opportunities like that, that are not necessarily land, but provide opportunity for people who might not, you know, you know, apartments are number one expensive. They're hard to come by. And, and I think when you look at like condos and, and things like that provides a lot better opportunity for small families who might not be, you know, have the means to pay for a, a large apartment somewhere, but like, you know, kind of, we can give back and still be able to, to make our side of it. Um, can I ask a, a dumb question? Yeah. What's the difference between a condo and an apartment? I, I would say probably a condo is uh, that's a great question because I was I honestly just about about to describe probably what would be a townhouse. I know very much townhouse gives you some sort of vertical building with a, some sort of garage option to it. I would say a condo is uh, about the same vertical, probably no garage option. Say the kill house definitely would be a townhouse. Okay, so it says biggest difference between a condo and an apartment is ownership. An apartment is defined as a residence that is rented, often as part of a larger residential unit. A condo can be similar in structure to an apartment, usually a unit within a larger residential building, but condos are owned instead of rented. Huh. huh. Well, you learn something new every day. Maybe I'm getting into a, an apartment building then. Well, I love it. And I, and kind of a Trojan horse move for you to ask me about investments. And, and I mean, you got a lot more cooking than I do. No, but mine is very traditional stuff. You're, you, if it seems like you are always talking about like, oh, there's this new tech, there's this new this, there's, and I'm always like, oh, wow, that's cool. And maybe it's just because it's like the new shiny stuff versus yeah, I'm Yeah, exactly. Like, like, I don't think that's, I would prefer to, the, the, the more time goes by, the more I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to simplify things. Like, I have no issue in, we, we said the Warren Buffett quote last time, like, nobody wants to get rich slowly. But, like, that's the ticket, man. It's, it's the compounding stuff. Well, I'm not worried about like, being rich now. I just want to be 55 years old. And that's what I'm saying. I'm kind of community. in the same boat of, like, no, I don't, yeah. like, I'm good. So I'm not really, I wouldn't say, like, I, I try to be knowledgeable on this stuff, but I'm not, like, putting, I'm not putting a lot of chips on the table. So, 
Anyway, let's turn it into an investment podcast. That was not investment <laughs> advice. I just want to go ahead and add that footnote again. God, we're idiots. Uh, all right, let's see. Was that your question or my question? That was mine. Okay. Let's do one more each. Okay. I figured, you know what? I figured we weren't going to get through five each. <laughs> of course not. This is a simple one. What does it mean to get smoked? Oh, man. You want to get smoked? I, I'm curious. Well, I don't know yet. I can't answer that question. Very, very, very simple. I'm sure it's the same thing. You uh, think about it in, in your lane. You guys are at football practice. You're fucking up a drill. Coaches have been ragging on you forever. They, yeah, they, they're just so fed up. Everybody go, you know, get down to the goal line. We're running sprints or you're doing something. Now, in the military, if you're going to get smoked, you can literally, you, you, you get smoked for walking into a room and like just looking funny. Like, oh, what, you came in with a bad attitude today? Hit the fucking deck. You know, hit the floor, start doing push-ups. So it's and just push-ups mainly? Uh, a lot of push-ups usually, sometimes some flutter kicks. You know what flutter kicks are? Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of flutter kicks. Uh, the issue at Ranger Regiment it, with push-ups, and, you know, at any point in time, I could knock out, like, probably 100 push-ups unbroken without taking a rest just because you do so many push-ups. The issue is, is that while you're at Ranger Regiment, and until you've gone to Ranger School, which the second phase of Ranger School is Mountain Phase, until you've successfully passed Ranger School and you have your Ranger Tab, you haven't gone to mountains yet. So you need to train for those mountains. So every push-up that you do is an elevated push-up. So you need to find something to elevate your feet and start doing push-ups on. And if you look around, if there's a chair, if there's a desk, most of the time there's nothing around. So it's the wall or a pole outside or something. But you would get more fucked up uh, because you didn't elevate your feet. And if there is nothing, you're elevating it on somebody else. Meaning like you're in a chain putting your feet on somebody else's back who has their feet on somebody else's back who has their feet on somebody else's back. Like that is the number one thing. And it could go on from, you know, when I first got a regiment, there was no like defined time of when this was going to stop. You know, it's corrective punishment, obviously, but it, it's strictly up to whoever gave you that order to say, you know, this is when you have your punishment is done as i continued to move along in the military and uh, hazing <laughs> became more of a thing hazing started to get really 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 out of control the military put a limit basically on how many exercises you could do in you know for corrective punishment so it you know i talked about push-ups and you would do push-ups for sometimes like five minutes sometimes 10 minutes sometimes you would be it literally, it's called the front leaning rest position. There's no resting, but that's what they call the, the upper push-up position, front leaning rest. You could be in that position for 20 minutes. And you don't push up until they say down, right? Correct. And your whole yeah. entire body would be, you know, convulsing. You would be shaking and, and trying to arch your back and elevate, and, you know, stretching it all out just so... The biggest thing about going in the push-up position is not going down and resting on the ground. Because if you rest on the ground, that's that's you admitting that you failed, that you are not strong enough. And most of the time, it just, it would make everything worse. 
So that's really what it means to get smoked. Now, majority of the time, what happens is that when you like, when is it done? It is done when somebody quits. You know, it's done when somebody realizes that this is going on and, and that person gets yelled at and says, hey, mate, they're done. Like, stop that. Like, they're, they're clearly, they figured out what's going on. Um, but what I was saying is hazing uh, became a bigger thing. You were only allowed to do uh, 25 repetitions of an exercise within, uh, for that corrective uh, training period. And this was like right when CrossFit was really taking off and being big and like nobody really knew what burpees were, but CrossFit came into the military very, very early. Like a majority of, you know, CrossFit being based or started out of California, got into the SEAL teams quick and then it, it didn't take long for it to get into the army side of soft. And I remember in like, you know, 2006, 2007 doing burpees and burpee is a fucking ball smoker well that's and, what i was going to ask you up downs was like that's what yeah you, you didn't want to be doing up downs at, at football that's my that's my least favorite man or like you know you got to every five yards hit an up down length of the yep. field back like that talk about getting smoked oh my god so think about that and then like being told that you can only do 25 repetitions of it which 25 burpees are a lot but then they would have like they would do what they were called freeze burpees. So like when you're like uh, mid squat, they would tell you to to freeze, and you would just hold the you know hold an air squat for however long they wanted, and then yeah. you'd go down. I figured do the there push-ups. was gonna be a lot of loopholes to the twenty five. Then you would jump, and they'd be like, "All right, that's one," and you're like, "This one exercise just took us five minutes to do because we we froze five different times and like." Your whole body is like convulsing. <laughs> it's bad, but it got uh, under control because honestly, you learn a ton by doing it, not just individually, but you're usually doing it with like a group of people. It makes you realize what like, you know, your physical boundaries are, but really it comes back to like to team building. And like when you're going through things like that, man, you get really, really tight and you, you really start to rely on people and other people can cover down for you. Um, a funny story, uh, and this is kind of as as crazy as my life used to be, but when I was going through RIP, as it was called, Ranger Indoctrination Program, now it's called RASP, Ranger Assessment Selection Program, in order to get into the 75th Ranger Regiment. During our final training exercise, you're actually out in the field, which means that like you're not in a barrack setting or anything else like that. You're like out living out in the woods for 14 days. And we're trying to set up a patrol base and a patrol base is a military uh, formation in which, you know, when you're actually like out in war, you sleep in patrol bases. So it provides 360 security uh, there's there's certain priorities of work in which you do once your patrol base is established um, in order to maintain security, to get your weapons clean, to eat, uh, to sleep. But you have to have security up at all times. So it's it's kind of a rotating effort of of sorts. We were dead tired after being like, this is like day 10 in the field and you're only getting like maybe like two hours of sleep a night and you're you're moving and, and hiking all day long. And I remember we got into uh, going, it's probably like three in the morning. We go to set up our patrol base and the patrol base was, was so bad. They're supposed to 
roughly look like a diamond. Uh, that's how most patrol bases are set up. I think what it, they said is our ours looked like an old soggy hot dog bun, um, <laughs> and meaning we were way we were way too close together. So like if there is like uh, mortars or artillery or something like that, you know, a round comes in like basically you're, they could kill everybody. So what the cadre did is that they threw a flashbang in the middle of the patrol base and killed everybody. So what we did for the rest of that night is we went and dug our own graves and we got done digging a six foot grave. Uh, and then when everybody was done, everybody helped everybody else to make sure that their, their graves were the right size and depth and everything like that. Cause everything has to be nice and clean and in formation. Cause this is a funeral in this series. Once we got done digging, everybody had to, uh, you know, you always carry a, a something to write on and something to write with on your person at all times. So write in the rain paper and, you know, whatever pen. We had to sit down. We had to write our own uh, eulogies. And so you're sitting down, uh, Cody McBride, born whatever, and in Montana, son of Roy and Linda, you know, <laughs> Leaves, you know, passed away this day uh, at this time. He, you know, he was, if he, I, I think mine was like, Cody was an avid golfer and fisherman and a, uh, you know, a massive Red Sox fan or something like that. In lieu and, of uh, flowers, please, please smoke yeah. the rest of the unit. <laughs> yeah. And we turned them all in and then we all had to stand in formation for the rest of the night. And they read all of them back to us. Oh, God, that's so bleak. You think about how silly of an exercise that is, and why would you do that? The first week that I was actually in the unit at my battalion, uh, one, of, one of my Ranger brothers died. And you standing in formation while the eulogy, his eulogy is being read, and like we're obviously very, very emotional and distraught. And, um, I thought back to it and, you know, as silly as that training, that prolonged smoke session was, it taught me so much. It taught me exactly what's going to go on, how this whole procession is going to happen. Uh, it brought up the emotions of thinking of myself dying. And, uh, you know, as weird and ranged as it is, uh, you know, I've buried a lot of my friends now. And every single time I go through it, I think back to that night and, you know, as crazy as it sounds, if that's not good training that stuck with you, I don't know what else is. That's well said. And it's always, whether it's, you know, bleak or not, it's nice when stuff like that happens and you're like, now I get it. Yep. You know, cause I can think of stuff like that with football or, you know, less life and death stuff where you're like, what the fuck are we doing? And then you like, you know, some time goes by you're like oh i see that makes a lot more sense now yeah we obviously talked about this uh a couple of weeks ago but you know i think uh i get a lot of questions all the time about death about grief how do you deal with it and uh one of my a friend of mine that i served with we worked together a couple times but he was kind of everything to to me, and, and I've continued this on, and people ask me all the time, why am I so into, you know, the adaptive golfers and everything else like that? And there's, there, I have a lot more in common with them than, 
than a lot of other people that I go play with because I think most of them come from the military. But even uh, if they don't, I, I've, I kind of am familiar with the hardships that they've gone through. There's a gentleman that I served with in 3rd Ranger Battalion. His name's Joe Kapicheski. Phenomenal human being. One of the best men I've ever been around in my entire life from being a, a husband, a father, um, a friend to a leader. And he was a leader within Ranger Regiment at every single level. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, he committed suicide. And he retired a couple years back and has been uh, involved in multiple organizations and groups to stop suicide, to, you know, suicide prevention, to outreach, to being somebody that a lot of people talk to. And, and like he, he was that guy and, and nobody ever, you know, this was a shock to everybody that this happened. And it, it made me stand back and think because for a long time, you know, suicide is kind of one of those things that within my friendship group and, and it, you've just kind of become accustomed to it, uh, which is completely fucked up to say. But I was always the uh, believer and on the thought process of it being a completely selfless decision of how would they do that in order for them to escape something. Um, I thought that was very selfish of them because they leave behind a wife and kid and everything else like that. This was the first time that, that my view on this whole thing has completely changed. And the reason why I want to talk about it, because there's a lot of people that are out there going through this situation, mental health, everybody deals with it. And I want them to know that they're number one, not alone, but number two, uh, talking about it is probably the best way in order to get a hold on whatever that they're going through. And it doesn't just have to be, suicidal thoughts or ideations or anything else like that but it can just be depression to just having a bad day and being able to open up and talk about it what i realized with joe is that he was actually uh clearly struggling with something that he didn't quite have the understanding on or or control on how to fix it and that's okay to, to raise your hand and say, hey, I don't know how to fix this, but he didn't do that. And whatever pain and torment or, or anything that he was going through, you know, he made the decision to, to end it. Which, like I said, I used to think of as a very selfish decision. And now I'm happy because I hope that he has escaped the pain that he was under. And I, I look at it and that's, a complete 180 view from how I used to look at things of this situation. And I think that's because I know the man that he was. I know the individual that he was, the leader that he was. And I, I've seen him in 2004 in Mosul, driving under a bridge overpass uh, in, at the time, and ISI before it was ISIS, uh, dropped a grenade to her hatch through a striker vehicle that Joe was in. The grenade detonated and it severely damaged his, his leg. He obviously was flown back to Walter Reed, went through lots of surgeries, tried to heal up, made the decision to have his leg amputated. And most people, when they're amputated, they, their service ends and they go to live whatever civilian life that they're going to do. But that's not the route that Joe chose. He chose to have his leg amputated and 
he was the first ranger to ever come back as an amputee to full active duty and not just a full active duty, but he led men at every level from team leader to squad leader to platoon sergeant um, in combat. Uh, we used to joke around all the time because he would have to carry two legs with him on target, one leg attachment that had a boot on it. And the other one was his running little fin that everybody sees uh, because you never know when you're going to get in a firefight and you got to run your ass out of there. And he was one of the fastest people that I've ever seen in my life without that running boot on. Um, and he was a, a hell of a leader. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do my part just like every other person that I know that, n that knows of Joe um, to not forget him, to not let his legacy um, not continue on because he was a fucking awesome, awesome, awesome dude. And uh, he wrote a book. So if people are interested, you can Google Joe Kapacheski. There's a book that he wrote about his whole ordeal from being injured to coming back to full service. And, uh, you know, you want to get motivated. You're having a, a bad day. You think you're in a bad situation. Read Joe's story, and it, it makes whatever you're going through maybe seem less uh, dark and gloomy. So I'm sorry to derail this. But no, no apology necessary. Thanks for some. Thank you for sharing that. For some reason, that uh, it popped in the brain, and it, it's you know I've like I said I talked to you about this already before, but uh, sometimes I am extremely uh, bashful and introverted and not wanting to talk about things like that, and then sometimes it comes up, and and I. I need to get it out because it's like I said, it's not just me. There's so many people out there that go through or are living through these same things. And what I'll say is that they're, they're not alone and talk to your buddies, talk to your family, talk to whoever it is because it's more common than you think. And this stigma that guys aren't supposed to talk about their feelings or fucking just say, hey, I'm having a bad day. want to talk about it is such bullshit, man. And I'm sick of it because I'm sick of watching my friends die. I, I agree with that. I'm a pretty passionate person. I like talking about my feelings. so For sure. But I will say to the uh, people who have listened this far and have gone through this speech is uh, that thank you for being my sounding board because I know that I put a lot of... Uh, this stuff on you and I, I wouldn't do it if I know that number one you didn't care about me number two you weren't interested in it and using it uh not using it for like selfish terms or anything like that but probably to get a better understanding of me and my situation and those that I surround myself with and I've put you in those positions before of being around my adaptive friends and via different events and things like that and I hope that it it maybe uh creates a better understanding of of this it world does for me there. for sure like i think before you came on board and worked with us I, you know you just seems like in society the there's a less of a connective through line with you know the military and service and you know you if you go back a generation it's like a lot probably a lot bigger percentage of the population had a direct link to service and so then i think that leads to like 
uh, unease, insecurity about like what questions can you ask? What, what, uh, you know, it's heavy stuff. And I appreciate that you've always made me feel like I can ask questions, but with, you know, like respectfully, like don't ask a fucking stupid question. Um, but like you the, always have that not, guy that, that asks you how many people you've killed. So it's well, like, exactly like, you know, guy, you just fine. don't, don't be, don't be a schnitz. Uh, <laughs> but like, because I truly like, I guess the, the, the point that I maybe years ago, like three, four years ago that I would want to like convey to a veteran is that like, I am genuinely curious yeah. and you know, it, but you're just like very paranoid that you're going to get back. Like the peaky blinders, like you weren't in France, like you can't ask, you know, like, <laughs> Like, you know, I, you don't want to like piss anybody off or awaken demons. And, you know, it's just like, it's, uh, but it's like the, the ability to ask and, and not asking like, a not have to couch it, not have to like, let's just fucking talk about it. That helps me. I feel like be more comfortable with and have a better understanding and, and, you know, help hopefully. Yeah, for sure. Even if you don't know what to do to help or what to say, I think it's still just like, allows me like the rest of the today and I can sit with that for a while, you know, like that's, yeah, that's, that's good. I think that's good stuff. So, all right, you got one more. Or you want to wrap it there? I think we're good there. Of course we put the, we, we throw five out there. We knew we weren't going to get through all five of those, man. That just means you're going to have to come back for the rest. I mean, how about that too? The, 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 you never know when you're in the booth. I'm sure you have a lot of experience with this of like, which question is gonna, is gonna lead to the, the the heart pouring, the pouring out of the heart. <laughs> I know. That's 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 the good stuff. I'm happy that it was me this time. I don't know. Maybe I'll get you next time. Right, that's yeah, it. yeah. You might be losing your touch, man. No, never. Um, I'm deep on so many different lines right now. I'm investigating so much stuff. So I fired up about it. I love it. Maybe we'll have a th- more of a theme for next episode. Could do a Q and A. Obviously, the, the the voicemail line is always open, um, or we could have more of like a, a theme, different topic, right? Like, because yeah. the other thing with you is like, I find it fast. I find your your service and your career fascinating, and but that's not all that I want to talk about with you. So, but I think it's important to start there because it provides a lot of context. True, and I think it would be good to do like a Q one check in on our goals because I've been crushing my speed training. I've kicked the chocolate-covered almonds and supplemented them with uh, strawberry milkshakes every night. So I got some work to do, but I think I need you to hold me accountable to them. That sounds good. I, I will have some, I have some positive updates on that front too, but we'll save that for next time. Until then, everyone be safe, and thanks for listening. Favorite trapper, the absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Who 